Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a jam-packed one for you this week. We've got a lot of guests joining us. We're going to be talking insurance in a little while with Michael Applebaum. He's from Ideal Solutions Insurance. And uh, have you been struggling with knowing about your claims? Did a tree hit your house? Well, we're going to break some things down with Michael in a little while. Uh, after that, we're going to be talking to Greg Benell from BNN Bloomberg. Always great to have Greg on. We're going to talk about the Bank of Canada rates and uh, where we see some of the traction happening right now in the upcoming election and later in the hour i've got two returning guests i've got jazz takar uh, he's a realtor he's going to be joining us we're going to be talking mostly about condominiums and uh, and then after that i've got greg gilmore broker owner of remax realty specialists and we are also going to talk about the market and also about realtors so we've got so much planned for you but a lot going on in the news this week especially with some of the ontario election some of the party leaders they're starting to talk a little bit about their plans for affordable housing and uh, I thought I'd just kind of read a couple of things that I found interesting uh, you know Kathleen Wynne of course she was the one who instigated the fair housing plan back in 2017 with a 16 point uh, approach to it you know with the you know, going after the uh, foreign buyers okay I get it I understand why they did it but uh, Kathleen has uh, said this week in the news she said people work hard to provide for their families they should be able to rent or enter the real estate market without making great sacrifices or taking on a huge amount of risk. Okay, so I'm going to call offside on that one just out of the gate because I think that you know, people have to, you know, understand when you take a little bit of a risk, it means that you're a little bit more invested into what you're doing. If there was no risk, people would walk away, which we saw a lot in the US when the market crashed. I think one of the things that is good about the Canadian industry is that, you know what, if you do walk away from something, you're going to definitely pay for it in the long run. You know, most people have to file bankruptcy if you just walk away from mortgage. So I'm not sure I'm really impressed with her uh, attitude towards it. I understand. She's thinking, affordability one of the other things though um, you know unfortunately uh, when taking a look at what mr. Ford had to say um, he really didn't put too much of a you know a, a emphasis on anything um, you know he danced around a little saying that the liberals you know well everybody uh, became unaffordable in, under the liberal watch but when uh, mr. Ford really didn't offer much of his opinion to it but the NDP this is the one that I was a little concerned about and you know they think that they're going to build uh, 65,000 affordable homes over the next decade. All right, let's talk about that for a second, because 6,500 homes spread over a province the size of Ontario with a demand of 120,000 people immigrating into, meaning new Canadians immigrating into Ontario per year, uh, is not even close. So I think it's a very small band-aid on the problem and not terribly impressed by their approach on it. There's pretty much saying that they also want to follow the BC government on how we're all going to get taxed. So they want to increase your property taxes, okay, up to $20 per thousand of assessed value in 2019. Okay, so they're they're really pushing it for people that own outside the province. They want to they want to make it very difficult. So if you own a five hundred thousand dollar house, you're going or property, you're going to be paying an extra ten thousand dollars in taxes. Uh, again, they keep 
uh, citing the uh, the BC government, and they're saying that they want to follow suit. They want to increase potentially the taxes on foreign buyers as well. So they want to kill that part part, part of the market even further. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, there've been some people are talking about, and they want to find out, and I'm not sure which government's going to support it, is the idea of laneway homes. So that one, you know what? We'll wait and see what they do because that's going to be a tough one for them to administer. Hey, but some good news this week out in Mississauga, the big $1.5 billion M-City community breaks ground. Rogers Real Estate Group has uh, broken ground. They're going to be starting off with two 60-story buildings. Uh, This is going to cover over 15 acres once they're all done with uh, over 10 buildings that are going to be uh, up over 50 uh, 50 stories. So uh, they're they're getting started, folks. They're breaking ground, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in the near future, the density and how well that project evolves. Um, As I'd mentioned, uh, my next guest... uh, we're going to be talking insurance, and it's Mr. Michael Applebaum from Ideal Solutions Insurance. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. You know, um, one of the things I think that uh, a lot of people are not fully aware of is how important the understanding of your home insurance policy is and, you know, what is covered and what is not covered. Do you, in, in your industry, do you find a lot of people aren't, you know, really clear on, on what can get fixed and deductibles and everything? Yes, there there is a lot of um, sort of misinformation or just lack of understanding out there. And, and I understand it <clears throat> as a broker, uh, it's complicated for us sometimes to understand. So, it's uh it can be difficult for uh homeowners to understand themselves um the deductibles uh is is a bit of a, a a different story but when it comes to coverages you get a lot of issues you know we had recently large windstorms and there are different things at play there's trees falling there's power lines being knocked down there's uh there are outages that cause food spoilage um uh, and uh, sometimes there are issues that require people to to leave their premises for a period, a number of days. Uh, so it's important to really understand all the elements of the policy that can address these possibilities. So when we talk when we talk about uh, home insurance, for instance, and you made a really good example. Let's say somebody has a really big tree. Uh, you know, it doesn't take out the house, but it does come down. Uh, you've got to hire maybe an arborist or somebody to come in and remove it. Is this an item that you can actually have insurance coverage on, or is this out of pocket expense for the homeowner? It typically depends on on what's uh, what's caused it, or if any damage has resulted from it. So. If uh, if a tree has fallen and knocked down a fence, perhaps in the backyard, um, or or damaged a house, uh, you, the insurance will insurance will pay for the removal of the tree, and the obviously uh, repairs, assuming the coverage is in place to to repair the fence or the building. Um, if a tree just randomly falls in your backyard and lands on on the grass, um, typically that's not an insurance matter. Um, that would just be something for the homeowner to to deal with on their own. I also find we get a lot of calls where um, people uh, are are rushed to call their insurance company when it might not be the the right call. It's a good idea to call your broker and and have the conversation with them before you send in a claim. If you've got a thousand dollar deductible on your home insurance and uh, trees fallen in your backyard and damaged your fence, and it might cost $1,500 to remove the tree and repair the fence, you might not always want to make a claim with your insurance company. You might have discounts for uh, claims-free discounts that you could potentially lose. Um, And, you know, the the fact of 
having to deal with the insurance company for ultimately what would be maybe $500 might not be worth uh, the time for some people. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest things that we hear, obviously, in the industry is flooding. And, you know, with basement flooding kind of on an uprise, you know, we've had some torrential downpours, there are issues. And when people start talking about basement flooding, I mean, I'd imagine from an insurance underwriter point of view, this can be quite a nightmare because, you know, when you start having damage, then what is damage, what's the value of it, and how much is going to get repaired? How, what are some of the parameters that our listeners should know when we're talking about flood damage? Well, a couple of the important things are to be able to differentiate between uh, flood or what you would call in the industry a sewer backup, so water coming through a drain from the street, versus uh, what a lot of insurers would now call overland water or flooding, where you have ponding um, on land and water is coming in through the foundation or through a door or window opening. And those are two very different coverages. Um, and people need to be careful to check their policies to ensure that, you know, if they have a finished basement or if they store a lot of contents in their basement, that, uh, that they do have this type of coverage that's going to be sufficient to pay for a loss or damage to uh, property, uh, whether it's the, you know, the drywall and the couches or just boxes of things that people store over the years in their basement. Um, and and uh, and so there is a big difference between those two, and it's important people take a close look at their policies. All insurance companies offer some type of coverage, sewer backup, and many overland water now. The difficulty is they all offer some different nuance of it, and so it's really, really important you speak with your insurance company or your broker and find out what you've got, if it's the right product for you, and if it's not, what else is out there that's available. Uh, there's, there's one other coverage I should add that uh, some insurers have introduced in the last year or two, which will even now repair the water line coming into the house, the water and sewer line coming into the house. So that's an additional um, element that's been thrown in that even a lot of brokers uh, have a hard time kind of wrapping their heads around. Yeah, because right now I know with a lot of the older properties, you know, you can have tree roots that will then embed themselves through things. They can cause backup and things like that. Um, back to our flooding just for a second. Um, one of the things that um, I had experienced for years watching, you know, people put in claims, a lot of people think that when there's some water damage done, kind of, let's say, to the baseboard a little bit up the drywall, a lot of people have this mindset that all the drywall gets replaced. But a lot of times insurance companies will only take it up a couple of feet, remove it, and and then put in the new drywall. Is there insurance people can get so it basically goes from you know nothing to brand new again, or is it normally just dealing with the issue at hand? That's a good question. So insurance is meant to put you back in the position you were in prior to your loss. Um, so if you had some water damage that, say, soaked up the carpet and seeped into the baseboard and, and the drywall a little bit, um, if it's dealt with quickly, uh, so there's no opportunity for mold to grow or moisture to kind of build up in the walls that could lead to, to mold. Um, the insurer will typically come in and take up maybe, you know, three feet of drywall, uh, or the restoration company will come in and do that, check uh, how everything is, and they will then replace that portion of drywall and the baseboard and, and the carpet, you know, assuming you've got the coverage in place. Um, and when it's all patched up, it should... Uh, you should not notice any difference of whether it was an entire sheet of drywall or it was just the uh, the lower portion of the basement. My 
my parents actually had uh, a claim exactly like this uh, several years ago. The insurer uh, came in and took about uh, two or three uh, feet of drywall out, and today you would never notice the difference. So yeah. at the end of the day, it put the basement back in the, uh, in the condition it was in. And, uh, and everybody was happy. Excellent. Yeah. Listen, Michael, always a pleasure to have you on the show. What is the best way for our listeners to reach you? Um, you can find us online at www.isinsurance.ca. And our office number is 416-222-6677. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks. Folks, that was Michael Applebaum from Ideal Solutions Insurance. Stay with us. I'll be back with Greg Benell after this. And welcome back. Joining me now from BNN Bloomberg is Mr. Greg Bennell. And welcome back to the show, Greg. Always a pleasure to be on, Todd. You know, uh, busy week for, well, especially for you, because, you know, you cover so much, not just real estate, but uh, Bank of Canada, you know, didn't announce anything exciting. Uh, we've got the election leading up. Um, I'm going to give you the platform. What do you think? Yeah, let's start with the Bank of Canada, of course, because anyone out there with floating rate mortgages have been sort of on the edge of their, you know, seats for a while now saying, oh, my borrowing costs are moving higher. Did I borrow too much money? Can I afford it? Can I put it in my budget? With the Bank of Canada this week not moving on their uh, key rate again, and actually some other action that we've seen in the international markets, they're getting a little uh, nervous about what's happening in Italy and politics. And this is a great one because people say, wait a minute, did you just say Italian politics? Why does that matter to me at all as a Canadian homeowner? Well, everyone uh, is uh, a bit freaked out by what's happening in Italy and the political turmoil they're in, what it means for the Eurozone. And so everyone started selling stocks and getting into bonds, and that drove those bond yields down. So here we have the central bank when it comes to floating rates and, and those mortgages that we might have standing pat. So your costs haven't increased there. But then we've been hearing, well, central banks only have so much power. Look at the bond market. Look at the rising costs of borrowing in the bond market. That's what's going to get you. Those borrowing costs actually went down quite substantially in the past couple of days with all this turmoil. So it's a, it's a bit of a, a longer sort of runway now for people who have been worried about rising uh, borrowing costs. Everyone's still saying the Bank of Canada will go again uh, at some point this year, probably even into the July meeting. And so you're going to see that 25 basis points higher. But there's definitely not sort of an aggressive uh, cost of borrowing rise going on out there. Perhaps not as aggressive as people thought it would be. And so long story short, you take all of that, and if you sit back and you say, I need to either renew my mortgage this year or I have a floating rate mortgage, you got a bit of a reprieve if you've been worried about you know balancing the books on a month-to-month basis with higher borrowing costs. Yeah, I think that's uh, good news for some. Now, the other thing, of course, was the the NAFTA talks uh, not going particularly great. And so a lot of times, you know, Bank of Canada doesn't bump up if they think that there's going to be some issues coming up. Do you think that's one of the reasons why they held pat where they are? Oh, definitely. They can take a look at everything and say, well, there's, we have this uncertainty. We know that the economy performed, you know, to this degree at the beginning of the year, and we're fairly happy with that. But th- that is our largest trading partner. If we can't get this deal with the Americans squared away, and, and now we're back to the talk, talk, the tough talk. I think the last time we talked, we had uh, cheery talk. Everyone, the prime minister was in New York saying, I think we're very close, uh, a deal on the table. Washington came out and said, not so fast. And now we have the prime minister uh, this week saying, well, you know, no deal's better than a bad deal. So everyone seems to be sort of back in their corners again. So that's definitely a concern for the Bank of Canada. But the elephant in the room for them has been the amount of debt that we've taken on. And, and Governor Stephen Polos doesn't want to be the central banker, you know, who goes 
down in the history books of having crashed not only the housing market, but, you know, crippled the Canadian economy because it's such a big part of the economy right now. I think what he's trying to accomplish is that slow weaning us off of the cheap money. If they just cut us off completely and trigger some sort of, you know, uh, rolling effect through not only the uh, housing markets, but through the broader economy, that's not where they want to be because then they would just have to cut rates again to try to stimulate the economy. We'd be right back in the thick of it. Cheap money would be everywhere, and we know what happens when there's cheap money. Assets run up. Yeah. So we've got the Ontario uh, provincial election coming up, of course, and I know you're following this quite closely. Um, recently, the uh, the parties uh, are trying to outline, outline their plans for affordable housing. And when I read through it, you know, I didn't really see anything that had any teeth. It almost seems like they're dancing around this whole thing. You know, uh, NDP saying that they're they're going to build 65,000 over 10 years. Um, and to me, I mean, that's barely a Band-Aid on the actual issue. What do you think? What, have you analyzed some of the party's perspectives on this? You know, I feel the same way. I see the announcements and I feel that, like you said, they're very woolly. They're very soft. There's a, there's... Here's the goal. We want to do this within a decade. We want to do that. Uh, Doug Ford, we're not sure whether he wants to open the green belt. He says he doesn't want to now. But it's all just sort of sort of woolly, saying, don't worry. If we become your government, we're going to figure out this affordable housing thing. The, the 10-year time limit, I know I've been talking to some other agencies, too, who have these 10-year plans. Obviously, you have to make plans out in the future. But the housing market, it can change so dramatically, so fast. I mean, last year at this time when you and I were having conversations, it was about home prices being up 30% year over year and the government stepping in and taking action a year later, that's definitely not the situation. A year from now, much less 10 years from now, I can't guess where we're going to be in terms of the housing market. So you have these sort of long-term plans, not a lot of meat on the bones. It is interesting, though, with the NDP leading in the polls uh, and the Liberals seeming to have uh, very little chance unless they pull off some sort of miracle in the next week of getting back in. The green belt, the places to grow out, all of that is, is liberal legislation. That goes back 13, 14 years, but it, it, it was a centerpiece for the, for the liberal government, and they've been in power for that long. If you get an NDP government, if you get a conservative government, the approach is going to be different to housing, and from those two camps, you can pretty much assume they're going to be <laughs> very much different approaches depending who becomes the next premier of this province. You know, one of, the, one of the things I was looking at, Greg, and, and I don't know what your definition of affordable housing is, but I'm trying to wrap my head around what they think they're going to build, like what they're offering people. You know, is it basically, you know, one and two bedroom apartments that are going to be affordable for people to rent, own? I mean, at, at what point are they going to give us a, a clear definition of what they think people need? And again, you know, the outline on this whole thing, very, very weak. Well, that's the key too, right? And I think sometimes when people have the conversation about affordable housing, depending on where you are placed in the market, you have a different idea of what that means. There's social housing, so that's social safety net for, for low-income uh, people and families. But the discussion that a lot of people are having in Ontario is not about that. They're having a discussion about the fact that I have a job, you know, my partner has a job, we make good money, we've got two kids. We can't afford a house in the city. That's that's where the conversation has moved, and I think that's what they need to address. So sometimes you, you're exactly right. You talk about we need more social housing, and this is important, part of the social safety net. But the discussion a lot of people are having is, listen, I got a job. I got educated. I went out. I, I made some money. I still can't afford to live here. What are you going to do for me? Yeah, and a quick note, uh, NDP are thinking of uh, mirroring 
uh, BC with their increase in taxes. What do you think of that? Oh, put some more uncertainty. You know, that will definitely have an, a, a short-term effect because we've talked about this before, the psychological effect. Anytime the government pulls some sort of lever, whether it's the pre- uh, correct one or not, how influential is the foreign buyer? Everyone still fights over that number. Uh, but it would definitely have a, an impact right away. If you bump that up another five you know, percentage points and to, to match what they're doing in BC, it'd be another pause for the market. People will step back and say, what do I do now? I want to see where this all goes. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting once it uh, once it comes out. Um, just a quick note: um, the Rogers Group uh, have just launched their 1.5 billion M City uh, community project in Mississauga. That's uh, I think that's pretty good news. Yeah, the M City project is an interesting one because anyone who knows Mississauga, I actually live in Brampton, and Brampton's just north of Mississauga, so I know Mississauga fairly well. They, they've had that sort of explosive growth centered around what you know the, the shopping center, Square One, and that sort of has become the downtown Mississauga. I think they're trying to do something a little different because right now I don't want to dump on Mississauga, but I don't find those six-lane roads encircling the uh, the shopping center all that welcoming of a destination. I think they're trying to change that. <laughs> well, I wish them good luck with that. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure. Uh, our listeners can tune in to you, of course, 2 p.m. during the week. You are the host of The Real Economy on BNM Bloomberg, and always great to have you on. Yeah, my pleasure. Excellent. Thanks so much. That was Greg Benell. And folks, when I come back, I've got Jazz Dakar, so stay with me. I'll be right back. And welcome back. Joining me now is Jazz Dakar. He is a professional realtor and very active in this market. And Jazz, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Thanks for having me, Todd. You know, always a pleasure. I know, um, you know, I know we've got you on your car phone right now. You're probably out showing something even, uh, you know, right now, because I know it's been a real busy spring for you. But Jazz, one of the things that we're hearing a lot in the news is for some, uh, the market's not quite as hot as it, as it is for others. Uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, you you know, Todd, we're in, definitely in certain areas we're seeing that where uh, a lot of sellers are still uh, pricing their homes based on uh, what homes in their neighborhood were selling for from that time period of January to April of last year. The problem with that is, is that at that time, the, mar- the market was heightened uh, than it is, you know, what we're seeing now. And so I think sellers do need to bring their expectations down because there's more listings in certain areas for buyers to choose from, specifically in the 905s, where we're seeing homes sit on the market a little bit longer. So from a buyer's perspective, it's actually, you know, a very good thing because they're able to see more homes. You know, it's interesting, Jazz, because, of course, you and I get all the stats that come out in the marketplaces. And right now we're seeing that, as you mentioned, the 905 area, we're seeing, you know, kind of the time for a sale is between three and four weeks. Are you seeing that kind of regularly right now? Or, you know, is there is there multiple offers in some areas? Well, that's a great question. So in, in regard to the 905s, we're definitely seeing days on market uh, being closer to that three to four week period. Uh, but if you shift over uh, into 416, specifically downtown Toronto with condos, you're now you're, you're you are seeing multiple offers um, anywhere from units that start at like 500 square feet upwards to about, I would say, 700 square feet in that sweet spot, uh, you know, first time home buyers. Some people who are downsizing into smaller condos, you are seeing an influx of buyers, but not as much inventory. And so hence why you're seeing the multiple offers in areas like downtown Toronto and Toronto proper for semi-detaches, 
detached homes, areas like Leaside and Danforth, uh, High Park, for example. We were just out there last week, and, uh, you know, my buyers lost out on two offers, um, and then they had to wait until something else came out, and then they ended up getting that late Friday night. Yeah. Jazz, one of the uh, one of the things that uh, I've been watching in the news, you know, they're saying a lot that we are missing the middle ground. So you mentioned, you know, semi-detaches, you know, things from townhouses to semi-detached to starter detached houses. Apparently, that's that's a tough one. That That's not the product being built or is able to be built right now in the Toronto core. Uh, you know, we see a lot of condominiums. Um, yeah. are, do you think we're, you know, we're going to run into a roadblock for the people to be able to move up in the next five to 10 years? I mean, if we've got everybody moving into condos and it's time to make that next step, you know, uh, you know, for years, yeah. you, 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 you've taken your first time home yeah. seller to their next home. Um, this, this, this is going to be an inventory problem, is it not? This is going to be a huge inventory problem. And I think some of the legislation that came out last year in 2017 um, really uh, talked more about the demand side of, uh, of the equation but not the supply. And so obviously with the Greenbelt legislation, you know, we, we no longer can sprawl out. We have to go upwards, and that's why you see a lot of cranes, uh, uh, you know, especially going down the Gardner or the DVP, and even in the suburbs now. So even in the 905s, you're seeing a lot more condos come up. And I, I think what we're starting to see a lot more of is uh, someone that was thinking about maybe going into a townhome or a semi-detached, they're just looking into a bigger condo apartment, two-bedroom, uh, a little larger two-bedroom, due to the fact that there's just not a lot of inventory when it comes to the single-family homes. So again, to answer your question, Todd, we are going to hit a roadblock in the next coming years because uh, there's just not going to be that much inventory from a, a single-home perspective. So one of the one of the things that we've heard uh, lately, Jazz, is the fact that there's a few builders that are canceling new construction. Um, have you have you found any buyers that are just dismayed with this situation and they go to a resale instead of trying again their luck with a builder? Yeah, you know what, we, we saw something, you know, a little further north of the city that came out in the news, and it's very unfortunate because buyers, you know, uh, were expecting. To, you know, they paid for something and they expected to get a product. Now they're all going to get their deposits back and all that was safe. But, uh, you know, they, they thought they were going to get something. And so now they're not. And we are starting to see that they want to now purchase a, a property that they can touch, see and smell. And the only way of doing that is hitting the resale market. But when they look into areas like Toronto proper, we see, again, we have buyers, who, who were normally looking at a, a, a condo, for example, and now looking into a single-family detached home, semi-detached or town home. We have people who are moving down into smaller homes, and that's why you're seeing those multiple offers. So are you, um, are you finding anybody struggling with the recent stress test put in in January? Are you having people that have kind of, I guess, kind of squashed their expectations a little? Definitely, definitely. So, you know, someone who could have... Uh, uh, afforded before January 1st of 2018, you know, uh, to work with a round number of a million dollars. Now they're looking at $800,000. And so that could have priced a lot of people out. And, uh, and then on a lower price point, say, you know, if they were originally were looking at uh, $800,000 and now their purchasing power went down by 20%. And so they're starting to rent. They're starting to look into places where, the, you know, they're not going to be buying anymore. So it, to, again, to answer your question, Todd, we definitely have seen an effect with the stress test. I, my, in my opinion, 
I actually believe that it wasn't uh, a negative thing that happened to the real estate market. I actually think it was a positive thing because I, I was seeing people purchasing properties outside their comfort zone just to, quote unquote, off, get into the market. And I, 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 I truly believe this has put a little bit of a slowdown, which is actually a good thing in the over, for the overall economy. So, Jazz, when we when we talk about resale in condominiums, um, you know, of course, uh, a lot of the latest and greatest, they're, they're five-star resorts. But, you yeah. know, last time you and I had a conversation, we did talk about the fact that there are a lot of nice older condos out there that are actually more affordable. They do have higher maintenance fees because, you know, they've, they've been around a lot longer. But at the end of the day, are you finding that people are starting to gravitate a little bit more to some of the older but bigger condos? Definitely, especially someone who's, you know, been living in a home of, you know, 2,500, 3,000 square feet. Um, it's been, they're going to be hard-pressed to get their mindset around living in a 600-square-foot condo. And so the only way to get a larger space is to go into uh, some of the older condos and, and, and where they can find 1,000, 1,400, 1,500-square-foot 1500 units. And, yes, uh, you know, to your point, the maintenance fees are a little higher, but those are always based on square footage. And so to get a little bit of a, a bigger condo, you're going to be paying a little bit of a higher maintenance fee. However, you're going to get all the amenities, like you said, the five-star resort, uh, you know, with uh, 24-hour concierge, pool. A lot of them have uh, not only like visitor parking, but valet service. So you're going to get all of those amenities. And it's, again, it's hard-pressed, right? Someone who, who's always lived in a 2,500-square-foot home, they need to be at least similar to that. So 1,500, 1,600-square-foot condos is what they're moving towards. Right. When we when we talk about the, 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 the higher price range, the one that did take a drop, and of course, north of yeah. Toronto, very big, big change. Uh, you, yeah. know, up, you know, some people even $200,000 decline from the peak, yeah. let's say this time last year. When we, uh, when we take a look at it, are we finding that market rebounding a little? Or is it is it just people are being a little bit leery because they think there's more more wind to come out of the sales there? I actually think that it's kind of a mixture of both. So there are buyers who still believe that we haven't, again, quote-unquote, bottomed out, uh, but we've seen a rebound now. Um, what we like to do when we're looking at values in areas like that is almost take out what happened in January and April of 2017, look at how that area ended off uh, in 2016, and increase it by approximately 5 six percent because that's the normal growth that we've seen in the gta over the last uh you know 15 years probably a little closer to 7.2 percent to be exact and so uh we have definitely seen a rebound uh in in areas like uh, if anything further north of steels uh into the 905 uh and, and now buyers are starting to say you know what well, i need to move and so it doesn't matter if they might go if they thought they were going to go down a little bit more, they need to make the move for family reasons. And so that's why we're seeing a little bit of a rebound there now. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Jazz, always a pleasure having you on the show. What is the best way for our listeners to reach you? 416-979-0333 or visit our website at www.therealestatecenter.com. Excellent. Listen, Jazz, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Thank you. Okay. That was Jazz Car, folks. And coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Greg Gilmore. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
And welcome back. So my guest in the studio with me right now is Mr. Greg Gilmore. Greg is one of the founding members of Remax in Canada, but uh, more importantly, he is what I would consider my mentor. Uh, I've been part of Greg's brokerage for, I guess it would be almost 23 years. And uh, Greg, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Todd. You know, it's interesting because um, when we start talking about markets like we're experiencing right now, um, you've you've weathered all the all the real estate storms, and you know um, one of the things that uh, one of the things that I, I guess most people should be aware, you you have been in real estate now for how long? Oh my gosh, I started in uh, seventy five, so I guess it's um, January seventy five, so it's uh, 42. about forty two years. Wow, forty three. Yeah. Wow, so you started when you were eight, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, when 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 you first started, obviously, real estate is completely different. I mean, you know, you you, you were handwriting offers probably on the hood of your car. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There was no fax machines, no um, lock boxes, no computers. It uh, it was different. Very much the same. It's a people business, and you do a good job for the people, and they refer you to friends and relatives, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know, you you actually, um, with a couple of your partners, actually brought the REMAX concept here to Canada, didn't you? Yes, you did. Yeah, it was, um, it was just ripe for the market at the time. Back then, it was mostly, um, most of the commissions were 50-50 shared with the broker, and then we brought in the 95% system where... Um, we we basically taught good realtors to become business business owners in their with 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 under our company. So yeah, you know it's interesting that you say that because you know one of the things that I always tried to practice was that I was in the business. You know, I I, I never believed I was a salesman when I when I was in real estate. I always believed that it's a business and you have to treat it like a business. You have to treat your clients like a businessman as well, you know, giving them everything you possibly could. Yeah, you were one of the fastest start realtors we ever had, uh, where you understood it was a business and, and you understood also the importance of um, keeping the customer happy and doing what was best for the customer in any case possible. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, you know, this is some of the, some of the stuff that I obviously learned from you. Um, when we When we take a look at today, you know, it's really changed. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been watching the market very carefully, and I'm sure you, uh, you know, sitting in the broker position, it's it's a completely different animal than it once was. And, you know, you've got people that came into the market just as it was heating up. And are are people going to struggle? And I'm not talking about, you know, let's say people in your, your company, because your company is, you know, uh, renowned for training people. You know, you've got a succeed program that is probably second to none with being able to train agents on how to do things. But there's a lot of people, I think, that are going to get affected. A lot of agents that they just don't know what to do in a marketplace like this. Absolutely. No, I find that um, even... Even experienced people who have been in the, in the market for ten or fifteen years have 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 just ridden a upswing market that only had one little down downturn in two thousand and eight. Um, but for you know since in, since basically the mid nineties, the prices have just continued to go up. Right, and so um, uh, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, so and and basically, I find that. Um, some people got lazy and they don't understand how to work again mm-hmm. and and they don't treat their day like a, a like a they're employed day. yeah they don't treat it like it's a it's a business and 
And I really find that today, if I could uh, say anything to realtors, you have to have a daily plan the night before you go to bed. And if you have that, then you can make every day a successful day. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think that's awesome advice because I always, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, what I had seen in the industry was that people would sit there and say, well, I don't have a listing appointment until, you know, 1 o'clock, so I'll show up at noon kind of thing. Um, you know, I remember you and I were most of the time opening the office. I mean, I'd be at the office at 7.30 in the morning, even if I did go, even if I was out till midnight, I still always believed that you had to treat it like a business day every single morning, no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, the market itself, and then uh, I do want to discuss you know an area that you know Remax Specialist is the str- is you know is one of the strongest players in, but the market itself. You know, right now we've just come off the numbers in April. Uh, numbers are down, obviously year over year. Last year, I think 2017 was a blip. Those first few months. Um, do you see the market stabilizing? Should people be, you know, concerned right now what what the prices are going to do, or are we going to start seeing a little bit of a progression moving forward? Well, that's an interesting question. So basically how I see the market and what's happened to it is that from January um, to, to 17 to April, the market went up by about 11%. Right. And that 11% is now gone. Yeah. Um, so the market dropped by the same 11%, but it's only a four-month period that we're taking out of a t- almost 20-year uprise in prices. So it's not—it's really nothing in the big picture. Um, the the people who bought in April, of course, um, they're the they probably sold a house at the same time. So um, they sold their house high, they bought a house high. Right. Um, but in the big picture, they probably have still made a good move. Uh, and long-term real estate will always recover. And if you keep real estate a long time, then it doesn't really matter. Um, but what I see right now is we actually have um, prices increasing in, in certain areas. Certainly the low end of the market, the, uh, um, the condominium apartments have actually gone up in value this year. Right. Um, especially if you take a two-bedroom, two-bath condo. It's, uh, uh, I've, I've seen um, multiple offers on these numerous times and and there's like a a, de- a demand yeah um i have thought i've seen a little bit of softening in the higher end prices but uh, there's still lots and lots of buyers out there and there still is a shortage of product on the market shortage of well-priced product yep. and and anything anything that comes on the market you know well-priced sells often with multiple offers still right so it's uh it's just like if you come on the market asking you know april April 2017 prices, you're not going to sell. Right. Um, the, the, the buyers are educated uh, and, and they have uh, the stats uh, available. So, um, so therefore, you need to just price your house according to today's market. It will, it, it will sell if, you've de- if you're dealing with a knowledgeable realtor. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things that I try to encourage everybody here on the show for all our listeners is the fact that when dealing with a professional, you're going to get this, not just the service, but you get the knowledge. And the knowledge is very specific in some areas. So if you're if we're talking about listing agents, which of course, as you know, I was, and so were you. Um, you know, one of the big focus points is that knowing that neighborhood so well. So if a house sells at this price, there's a reason behind it. So you know, you know the upgrades, you know the 
conditions. And you actually, in a lot of times, know the reason for the sale. You know, some people are upsizing, some people are getting divorced, who knows. But, you know, if, if you're hiring the right people, you've got all this knowledge base behind it and so important. And, and you know, that's one of the, the things that I, I know I learned from you. When we, uh, when we talk about uh, a big trading area for, for you and your company is Mississauga. And, you know, Mississauga's had some, you know, incredible years behind it. Right now, there's basically only infill left. You know, they've, they've, they've pushed all the boundaries. Is there going to still be enough development in Mississauga to keep it growing? Absolutely. There's going to be, uh, just in the city center, there's going to be 22 more towers going up. There's uh, 22 more condominium buildings uh, just in the city center alone right. over the next number of years. I'm not sure the exact uh, time frame, but uh, probably over the next 10 years. Sure. Uh, so you're going to see that kind of growth. You're also, I'm seeing that there's we have an aging population uh, where we have um, people who have, um, oh, my last customer paid 90, 99000 for the house and they just sold for just over a million. <laughs> and they ended up buying a condominium in in the square one area sure uh they're like they're old and their kids are uh, they're having trouble walking and and they just need to get on one level uh and this is very typical uh and and it's also very typical for people who have you know been in the house a long time and and increase the equity a lot to help their kids uh, buy buy home right and so i'm seeing lots of that and that's fueling the uh, the low end of the market as well. Like the, uh, and, and and unfortunately, the, the low end of the market is high compared to what we used to think it was. Sure. Uh, so, uh, I know my first house I sold was a detached house for thirty seven five. And so you can't get a parking spot for that nowadays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah. So I'd I'd say the entry level is um, you know probably around that four hundred thousand dollar mark. Um, but you know it, it's. It, it, the incomes have also increased. So as far as percentage of income to to actually carry a home, it's, it hasn't changed that much. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I know there's some developers. We've got uh, the Rogers Group are going to be doing the one near the Square One area. You know, they've got quite a bit of development that's going to go over there. And then on top of that, you've got the old um, the old generation plant down there uh, by Dixie and Lakeshore that they're going to be putting. And they propose both uh, both commercial residential together. I think it's going to be a hybrid program, yes? Oh, yeah. Well, and also the one at um, Mississauga Road and the old Texaco lands. There's 72 acres there. Right. And there's uh, a number of uh, big builders who have gone together to to purchase it, and it's under development right now. Right. Uh, and there's um, uh, so that's going to be a massive development, adding um, well a few thousand units to. Uh, uh, to just the port credit area in Mississauga. Yeah, excellent. You know, it's uh, it's it's going to be good because you know, again, um, Mississauga, you know, great area. But as long as uh, as long as everything's moving forward in the development, um, Greg, it's always a pleasure having you come on the show. I appreciate it. Um, if people uh, are interested in finding out on a uh, how to be a realtor, or for that matter, track you down, what's the best way to reach you? The best way is. Uh, um, my number is 858-3434 in the 905 area code. That's right. uh, with REMAX, Realty Specialist. And we are actually uh, looking for good realtors, uh, people who want to start up. Um, and we have one of the best training programs in the business. Yeah, I would agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And um, like I said, thanks so much for joining me today. 
My pleasure. Folks, that's Mr. Greg Gilmore from REMAX Realty Specialist. Uh, if you do want to find out more about what I would consider one of the top brokerages ever, um, 905-858-3434. Well, that does it. That's another show this week. I want to thank my guests for joining me this hour, of course. Uh, Michael Applebaum from Ideal Solutions Insurance, Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg, Jazz Dakar from the Real Estate Center, and I want to thank Greg Gilmore, the broker owner of REMAX Realty Specialist. Always a pleasure to have all these guests join us and enlighten us on what's going on in the real estate market. I want to thank, uh, of course, Andre and Ian. They make it simple every week for me here. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.